Hi, I'm Allie Jackson Jolly. I'm here with Jerry Wan. Jerry is the founder and CEO of Just Like Media. He is also the um, founder and producer of Dear Asian Americans. Jerry, thanks for being here. Oh, it's wonderful to be here, and thanks for having me, Allie. Yeah, so um, you have gotten to the point in your career where um, you are on I don't know if I'll say speed dial, but the Vice President of the United States calls you and asks you to come interview her on stage for things like the White House Initiative on Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islanders. Um, you've also interviewed her on your podcast, Dear Asian Americans. Um, and so that makes me think about the fact that um, the Asian American community, or the AAPI community, I should say, um, is starting to really understand its power to shape policy, sure. to help um, shape how election outcomes may be. Mm -hmm. So could you talk to me about um, what you think is happening there with this yeah. um, new power that your community is starting to understand? Sure, uh, I wanna correct, I don't have her phone number nor does she have mine. Her, 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 her team reaches out and I'm very grateful when they do. Um, you know, I, I think to talk about the community, right? And, and that's sort of the, the buzzword of the last, you know, we, we talk about community a lot, but we have to take a step back and go, when it comes to the Asian American and Pacific Islander community, what does it actually mean? And so even the way that the, the White House and other government agencies have sort of um, tweaked the term to now include Native Hawaiians. And so when, when you take a term or a group of people that spans, you know, let's just call it anything west of California, dozens of countries with complex histories between them with uh, different ways that their communities and their families have come to America. Separate, we are very weak. So for example, I am Korean American and there's about 2 million Koreans living in the States. So with you know the total population being north of 350, that's a very small percentage. When you add all the Asian Americans together, we're somewhere between six and 7%. And so when you come together, then you become a more stronger voice a stronger voice that is less likely to be ignored. The challenge is that it is impossible, uh, really difficult is, is probably the right thing to say, but nearly impossible to have a, a monolithic view of the community. So when a, you know when, when we talk about even the black community, the, the you know Hispanic community, there's no singular archetype or a person or an agenda or a issue that impacts us all, um, you know, and, and I think the the stronger unity of the community's voice has, has unfortunately been sort of the silver lining of a lot of the ugliness that we've seen against the community in the last three or four years through anti-hate, anti-Asian violence and, um, you know, hate incidents that we've seen. Uh, but for what it's worth, I think if you're looking at the current administration, there's more diversity represented in all levels of government. There are more people. Uh, who look like me and you that are running for offices, you know, both local and, and at the uh, the federal level. Um, and, and it is interesting because it, and it becomes this sort of um, much more nuanced conversation about does representation actually represent me? Um, does that mean that, you know, all Asians are voiced or, or that all Asian voices are heard? And then the un unfortunate answer is not yet. And so even within the Asian American uh, community, if you uh, Take a look at population or census demographics. There's six, um, six of the largest ethnic groups, which are Chinese, Korean, Indian, Japanese, Filipino, and Vietnamese. That makes up 
of the Asians in the U.S. Then if you look at the bottom 15%, or the other 15%, rather, there's about 20 countries represented. Who's speaking up for them when their issues are very different, their income levels, their poverty levels, their where they live in this country? And so, um, you know, I, I think it is, what it, what it actually does is it, it invites more questions than answers. And then we ask questions like, well, what does the community actually look like? Um, historically, it's looked like me, right? A, a, you know, a privileged East Asian man speaking for everybody. And, and we're trying not to do that anymore. We're, we're trying to make space for other people. We're trying to be more mindful. Um, and, and that's one of the challenges that I've had on the Asian Americans, making sure that even though we cannot be exhaustively representative, how are we um, you know, sufficiently representative to the point that everybody feels that their voices and their stories are heard. Yeah, so tell me what you think. I know one of the big um, pieces of information that came out for um, non-Asian Americans um, during now and particularly when we were really understanding the Asian hate um, crimes that were happening. Um, was that Asian American and Pacific Islanders, that larger community, just didn't feel very seen, mm -hmm. um, didn't feel very understood by the rest of American society. Do you think that you've made any movement and, you know, um, community builders like yourself, policy um, leaders like the vice president, um, with people thinking more intentionally about giving voice, have we made any strides towards, you know, inclusivity? Yes and no. I, I think you're always gonna have a part of the community that feels yes, um, and you're always gonna have still, even the community that feels no, we're not doing enough. Um, you know, so I, I think it depends where you are, how you feel represented. Again, if your congressman is, you know, looks like you or is from your community or even, you know, your vice president is, does that sufficiently check the box of, you know, she has my, you know, um, priorities or our priorities aligned? And, and that's not the case, right? Because then we fall into this sort of, you know, trap of treating everybody of the same race as, as a monolithic voice. And so, you know, across all communities, and I think that's the um, the, the, the dangers of the single narrative. And so, again, I think, the, the questions that follow is, what does the data say? Is the data disaggregated enough? Are we getting a nuanced look at things? And so, you know, uh, with, with the hate incidents, it was, you know, initially it was extremely um, focused on uh, elders in major cities and, you know, but there was no real data to track. And so, you know, is there more, um, more attention on the issues? Yes. Are there more people aware of it and, and working on the issues? Yes. Have we fixed it? Of course not. Um, you know, are there new organizations? Um, the Asian American Foundation is one that was sort of born during this, you know, difficult time, who have really done a wonderful job of um, building together coalitions of both community and outside of community members, um, donation dollars, and leveraging sort of what can we do at an institutional level. Uh, or at, at a much higher level to then fund the people who are working on the ground to do work like that. Um, and again, I think it's also inspired many people to run for office, to work within administration, work within um, you know, uh, different staffer roles. And, and so, um, and again, or you know, as, as I'm doing and as a lot of my other friends are doing, 
you know, leveraging media business opportunities or even business themselves to represent our culture um, and ultimately, you know, uh, sort of pull on the economic empowerment lever when it comes to empowering our communities because it, it's all intertwined, right? So when we, when we think about, um, you know, the hate incidents that we unfortunately saw way too much of during the pandemic, part of it was economically impacted or it was it was because of the lack of economic opportunity that those families had. You know, so for example, in Atlanta, when um, those, those uh, women were working in those jobs, why would they have to work in those jobs during a pandemic had they had economic safety? Why were the uh, the sick Americans in Indianapolis working at the FedEx processing center, some of them into their 70s during a pandemic? And so I, I hope that it's not swept under the rug, and I hope that people start to ask the deeper questions of what does it look like to have uh, both privilege and safety and safety across all different levels. And so, you know, it is policy, but it is also providing uh, new ways for to um, uh, earn money, to keep our families safe, to provide resources for those people who need it. Um, so it, it is a complex issue. I think, I think the short answer has to be yes, because the other side is hopelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we, we've got a uh, big election year coming up. And so, you know, uh, funny enough, there are prominent Asian Americans running on both sides, um, and, and there are many, many down-ticket, you know, folks. And so, again, I, I think we're, we're, we're far beyond, and I'm sure this is, you know, very similar topics within other communities as well. Um, the identity politics is no longer a thing, but, you know, does that person represent, do, do they understand my life? Um, do they understand some of the challenges that our, our community broadly uh, experiences? Or And if not... Do they have people on their team to understand that? And, and do they have sort of that um, ability to think critically about uh, the whole community? Yeah, and so you mentioned other communities. You and I have had many conversations off camera about um, the intersectionality of um, different communities. So one piece of, one date that is really um, tattooed in my brain is 2045. That's the date at which if population growth mm-hmm. continues as it is, um, there will be more people of color um, in this country than not. And sure. so um, the thing that you and I have talked about is um, the things that we could do if um, those Americans that have been from historically marginalized communities um, when appropriate, worked together, supported each other versus um, seeing um, sort of each other as another othered group. Um, Can you talk to me a bit about what you think um, needs to happen to create more of this intersectionality? Yeah, it's conversations like this, Allie, because, you know, um, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I was I grew up listening to a lot of hip hop. And so, you know, Tupac's song Changes comes to mind when it when, it, when he talks about, you know, we have to start stop seeing each other as, as uh, two distant strangers and then think about how we're actually more aligned. And the only way it, the only way out is through us. And, and there are many levels through that. Right. And so, um, one, we have family and friends in our own networks who are of mixed race. And so when you start this dangerous dialogue about one group not being able to get along with the other side or that we have to be opposite, how are you asking a human being to be at odds with themselves or to not love your son, daughter, you know, so that fundamentally is, a, is, a, is not a human, oper, you know, um, way to 
view, view this you know uh, evolving demographic shift. Two, uh, the things that we all suffer from are actually very much intertwined, and so you know I, I think we have to look at. Uh, what are the narratives that have been painted for us, and what are the stories that we've been told? And so, one thing that comes a lot comes up a lot, uh, and it's been a hot topic issue with you know things like affirmative action and uh, access to things. You know, there's a real thing called the model minority myth, and the model minority myth says that all Asians are smart and they're educated and they're upwardly mobile and they're you know financially better, and and that narrative has been used to paint or to discourage or to sort of divide two different groups. One, other folks of color, namely black folks in this country, and saying, hey, if Asians can figure it out, why can't you? And then it is also used for other Asians and saying, hey, if these Asians can do it, why aren't you? Because then we fall victim into this that everybody had the same starting point and the same opportunity and the same access, and that it just became a matter of effort. That couldn't be further from the truth. And so if you study American history and understand that certain types of Asian people from certain countries with certain degrees, with certain both academic and professional upside were specifically chosen by the U.S. government to be allowed into this country, uh, and that's from uh, the, the post-Civil War 1965 uh, Act that allowed for that to, to fill uh, both vacancies in uh, American higher education, American jobs, a lot of in the STEM fields. And you take that group who were handpicked to be successful or already on their way to being successful, and then you compare them to people who are either refugees themselves or descendants of slaves in this country, that's not a fair argument. That is completely being weaponized to say, well, why can't you? Well, that person was already getting their PhD in mechanical engineering, and we gave them a visa to get their master's degree here versus the person who came with nothing because they were refugees from a war-torn country. And so again, it, it is then to think about how do we talk about the community that is both internally representative of uh, not just binary, but a multitude of different circumstances. And then to think about how do we get here? What were the things that we were told? And so, you know, I was born in Korea and we moved to a, a suburb of LA uh, in January of 1992. And it was a very uh, important year and a very unfortunate year for the Korean community in LA, the Asian community broadly, and, and unfortunately, um, it impacted the way that I saw black Americans in this country because uh, Koreans call it Saigu, which simply means 429, but April 29th, 1992, was a day that after the, uh, the announcement of the acquittal of the four white LAPD officers that beat a black man named Rodney King on camera, mind you, in 1991, uh, after that was announced, there was uh, some call it riot, some call it you know upheaval or unrest, but there was this perceived media narrative of black and brown folks burning down Korean businesses, and then this you know um, gross uh, misrepresentation of Koreans, you know um, arming their own stores and you know uh, getting guns and standing on rooftops. Well, so the narrative was that. Uh, there was angst because of the anger at LAPD that manifested in a riot against a predominantly Korean heavy business district. We don't ask where were the police that day. They were not there, but they were surrounding uh, on the western side of LA or in the western side of Koreatown, west of Koreatown, communities that didn't look like me and you. Where were the politicians that were speaking out? We didn't have very much representation. 
Were there people in media that looked like me and you? Were there people in mainstream American media that had friends in on the ground? No. And so, you know, 31 years later, has that been better? Yes, because we have, you know, uh, both uh, more representation in city and other types of governments at a national level. There have been more dialogue. And, and I think it's also understanding that, you know, without, without going into too deep of a history lesson, what were the historic economic policies and the uh, sort of waves of disenfranchisement that happened in both communities that led to that spark? Because you cannot focus simply on the spark. You have to think about why was that circumstance or why was that just waiting to happen, right? And so, um, you know, it, it, it's really deep. And, and I think, you know, um, who was allowed to open businesses, who was allowed to own homes in certain neighborhoods, who then got to invest in certain things. And, um, you know, it is, I think, uh, layer that with the sort of the, the scarcity mindset of many immigrants who just simply wanted to, uh, you know, survive and not understanding and not having that dialogue. And uh, I, I, it is it is my hope and, and hopefully I've contributed a little bit to this conversation that, you know, we just need to talk to each other. Because I think once you have these conversations, whether it is on camera or just with your, your own community, um, you start to understand that you're not so different after all. And you understand that you have a lot of things that are similar and that, you know, you, you empathize and then you humanize the entire experience. And so, you know, um, I, I, I am hopeful. Um, but, you know, the other part is, uh, you know, so what? So, so you know, in, in 20 plus years, you know, we're, we're a minority uh, majority country. And I hate that term too, by the way. Minority is only if you manipulate the denominator of any equation, right? So in any case, so then what? Again, does that mean that we all vote a certain way? No. Does that mean that, you know, we're going to start flipping elections? No. Um, you know, because there are parts of this country that are, you know, uh, we're in New York and I'm from LA. And so, you know, New York is uh, 80 plus percent folks of color. And is that represented in city government, in business leadership, in all sorts of stuff? No. And so, you know, how do we get folks involved and engaged and um, standing together on, on platforms and issues to make sure that there are things that uh, fundamentally benefit everybody? Because I, I think there is certain policy that benefits a lot of people, but it's just not never really presented that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time. Mm. Um, this has been you know, really eye-opening, and um, as we at Forbes continue to cover communities more intentionally, um, I'll certainly be also watching the way you're covering creating space and creating platforms to, <laughs> to talk about um, the diversity and diverse experiences within the AAPI community. So thanks for being here with us. Oh, thanks for having me, Allie.